Welcome to Extension Out Loud, Episode 5. I'm Paul Treadwell. And I'm Katie Bailden. Hey, Katie. Hi. In this episode, we look at SNAP-Ed, FNAP, and food banks as part of the overall farm bill. Nutrition is the largest component of the farm bill. About 80% of funds in the farm bill go to nutrition programming. One of the things, as we talk to our guests, and we should introduce our guests, joining us for this episode are... Lara Perilla, Nutrition and Community Development Issue Leader with Tompkins County Cooperative Extension. And we are also joined by Randy Quackenbush, the Advocacy and Education Manager at the Food Bank of the Southern Tier. And Katie, we're going to hear some acronyms during this episode. Can you uh, fill us in quickly on what SNAP, SNAPAD, and FNAP are? SNAP is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. SNAP-Ed is the Nutrition Education component of that program. And FNAP is another uh, Nutrition Education program. The connection with Cornell Cooperative Extension is that Extension administers SNAP-Ed and FNAP programs throughout the state. For us at Cooperative Extension, this really does fulfill one of our fundamental missions in delivering education to the citizens of New York State. Let's give a listen to our conversation with Lara and Randy. My name is Lara Perilla. I am a registered dietitian with Cornell Cooperative Extension of Tompkins County. My job title is Nutrition and Community Development Issue Leader. Welcome, Lara. Thank you. And my name is Randy Lynn Quackenbush, and I am the Advocacy and Education Manager with the Food Bank of the Southern Tier. We are based in Elmira, New York, and we serve six counties in the southern tier, including Chemung, Schuyler, Stupen, Tompkins, Tioga, and Broome County. Well, thank you for joining us, Randy, on the phone. We appreciate both of your time here. We're going to be talking about SNAP, SNAP-Ed, and FNIP. About 80% of the funding for the Farm Bill in 2014 went to nutrition programming, so the largest part of the Farm Bill. So we wanted to talk today about SNAP specifically, one of the largest programs. Can you tell us what is SNAP and what is its impact in New York State? SNAP is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, which is formerly known as Food Stamp. SNAP is the largest federal anti-hunger program here in the United States. It has its roots uh, coming out of the Great Depression, trying to connect agricultural surplus and farmers to people that were in need of food assistance and became a formalized program in the 1960s and 70s. And then in 2008, the name was officially changed from the food stamp program to SNAP. SNAP is an entitlement program, so that means participation fluctuates due to economic downturns or when their employment is better, SNAP roles will go down. So currently, there's about 39 million people in the United States participating in the program, and that includes almost 3 million New Yorkers. This is actually down from a high level of almost 48 million participants during the height of the Great Recession. So SNAP is really uh, it's a lifeline for families that might be struggling with low wages, underemployment, disabilities, people that are living on a fixed income like Social Security. And it's actually an anti-poverty program because it, ha- it does lift millions of Americans above the federal poverty line every year. And in addition to all of that, it's also an economic booster for every net dollar that is spent in a local economy, about a dollar seventy in local economic revenue is generated. The majority of SNAP participants are senior citizens and children and people with disabilities. The program is reauthorized every five years through the Farm Bill, which is actually happening right now. And the last thing I'll add is that the benefits are 
you know, the name does have the word supplement, so the benefits typically don't cover a full month of a food budget for a family. So the average individual benefit is about $125 a month. Great. You just took away all the questions I was going to ask you as follow-up, so thanks for that. (laughs) (laughs) So can you talk a little bit more about how the program is administered and also how participants participate in the program? Yeah, so it's a USDA program, and in New York State, it's administered through the Office of Temporary Disability Assistance, and then New York is one of a few states that it's actually administered on the county level. So you would go to your local Department of Social Services to apply or receive information, and participants must meet certain income and eligibility requirements, and that depends on their household size, their income, and other circumstances. And then the SNAP funds are directly loaded on what's called an EEP, an electronic benefits transfer card. It's actually just like a debit card when people get a pin, and then you can use that card to purchase food at retailers, which also includes farmer's markets. In New York State and in all states, there are current time limits and work requirements for specific populations that are participating in the program. And that might include engaging in job searching or accepting a job if offered or even volunteering can be counted towards those work requirements. Well, I, I think before we jump to Lara, okay. I would like to ask, when we talk about people buying foods with their EBT card, what sort of foods are they buying? What are eligible foods? Pretty much any food with a nutritional label is eligible for SNAP. You cannot purchase hot foods or prepared foods. So there is some controversies because people can purchase things like bottled water or soda with their SNAP dollars. So there are some in more of the public health community that have talked about restricting SNAP and making it more like the WIC program. But from my kind of reading into this is that that further increases the stigma and it's kind of patronizing when we should be allowing people to, to make their own nutritional choices. It's a contentious debate because it is public funding and then there are concerns about diet-related diseases and is SNAP contributing to that. But overall, the studies that I've read are that SNAP participants pretty much purchase a similar diet than um, somebody who's not on SNAP. So there is a a narrative that SNAP participants purchase more soda. There was even a big front-page article in the New York Times, I think, this year with what's in the SNAP participants' cart, and it's a lot of soda, and there was a giant photo of soda in the New York Times. And they actually had to retract that because in their own article, they actually acknowledged that People on SNAP purchase about the same amount of soda as people not on SNAP. So there's a lot of debate over what should be allowed. I personally believe that people should be allowed to make their own choices, and then we get into a lot more issues of access, affordability. So it's it's a contentious debate. When you start talking about making choices, making solid nutritional choices, I think that's really where we jump into the conversation about what SNAP ed is and, and how that helps backfill missing knowledge that people may not have. Right. And then we kick it over to Laura, right? Sure, yeah. So before I start talking about what SNAP-Ed is, which it's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program Education, I thought I would share a bit about what the issues are that the program is attempting to address. Mm -hmm. So first off, food insecurity is one of the larger issues that SNAP-Ed is looking to address. And in New York, Randy mentioned that 3 million New Yorkers rely on nutrition assistance, So that's about 32% of New York residents are considered food insecure, or one in eight households. And just to give the definition of food insecurity, the USDA defines food insecurity as a lack of consistent access to enough food 
for an active, healthy life. So it's actually different from hunger. They're related but distinct concepts. So hunger refers to the personal or physical sensation of discomfort, while food insecurity relates to a lack of available financial resources for food at the level of the household. I'm sorry, can I just interrupt here? Sure. So food insecurity is a lack of access due to financial things, but what about food deserts? What about the lack of access due to proximity and things like that? That would be included in the definition no, of being insi- a food insecure okay. household. Good, good. Yeah, I just want to um, clarify. Because likely if you're in a food desert, that means that you are you don't have necessarily the financial means to transport yourself to a grocery store where you can right. purchase. Okay. And some of the other issues that SNAP-Ed is looking to address, about 20% of medical costs in New York State are obesity-related. Also, nearly 27% of adults in New York State are physically inactive. And nearly 34% of New Yorkers eat less than one serving of fruit a day. And even fewer, 23%, eat less than one serving of vegetables a day. So these are the broad issues that SNAP-Ed is looking to address. SNAP-Ed is an evidence-based nutrition and obesity prevention program that aims to help people lead healthier lives. The goal is to improve the likelihood that persons eligible for SNAP will make healthy food choices within a limited budget and choose physically active lifestyles consistent with the current dietary guidelines for Americans and USDA food guidance. And the way it works is that SNAP-Ed builds partnerships with community organizations Cooperative Extension being one of them, cooperative extensions across New York State and also across the country, health departments and other community-based organizations. And what we do is we have social marketing campaigns, we have nutrition education classes, and we also do work to improve policies, systems, and the environment of our community. So, so what is FNEP and, and who does it benefit? Yeah, so FNEP is actually the, the oldest nutrition education program in the country. It stands for Expanded Food and Nutrition Education Program. It's federally funded, just like SNAP-Ed, and it's specifically for families with limited resources and youth. And it's delivered through the Cooperative Extension System in every state and U.S. territory. FNEP is similar to SNAP-Ed, but again, it focuses specifically on families with children. So the caregivers that are providing the food for their families participate, as well as schools that have a majority of students who are eligible for free and reduced price lunch. And we deliver a series of workshops that anywhere from like six to ten lessons It's all hands-on. We talk about food resource management, how to make the most of your food dollar, planning, preparing foods in an effective way, food safety, and also we work with expecting moms around breastfeeding education as well. Cool. The nutrition education classes component Mm -hmm. of SNAP-Ed and FNAP. First, how do people learn about them? And what is a typical class like? SNAP-Ed is called Eat Smart New York in New York State. So the success of Eat Smart New York and FNAP programs in New York State is really based on strong partnerships with community groups. The majority of the work that we do with families and youth is in in a group setting. And in order for us to bring those folks together in a consistent way once a week for six to eight weeks, we really need partnerships 
that will help make sure those people will come together. For example, we work with WIC, Women, Infant, and Children Program. We would partner with the dietitians there, and they would help us recruit a group. For example, we're doing a group right now at Cooperative Extension called Supper Club, where we have new and expecting parents coming together once a week and learning together. And so the kinds of things that happen in that setting, we do hands-on food preparation. That's something that always engages people right away. It gives some real tangible skills that they can take home. Nutrition lessons that are delivered in the form of facilitated dialogue. So it's the approach where you recognize that everyone at the table is an expert in their own life and has a set of strengths that they can contribute to the group learning together. So it's not a lecture style workshop. We have everyone sitting at the table as equals and sharing what they already know because everybody has some tricks up their sleeve about how they save money at the grocery store or strategies for getting your picky toddler to eat healthy food. And so that's how classes work. We also talk about strategies for reducing screen time, because that's another element that addresses obesity in children, and then also strategies to become more physically active. So we might not always get to play a game in class, but whenever there is the opportunity, we try, even with adults, we try to get them moving and throwing balls to each other, and they often feel like it's silly in the beginning, but it actually is a way to get their heart rate up and think of things that they can do with their children when they go home. Randy, you do a similar sort of thing down at the food bank. How wide a network is there across New York State of folks actually trying to educate people about nutrition? To my knowledge, every food bank uh, participates in the Just Say Yes program, which is um, the funding comes through the Department of Health, so it has become quite prominent. And... I think the importance of this is that we have found that a lot of folks that are accessing our pantries or meal sites, they're actually relying on that food for a large portion of their diet. And our most recent study in 2014 found that about 65 to 67% of people that visit our agencies come regularly. So we know that nutrition education is really important. And then additional focus, a bit away from the staff conversation, but we want to ensure that the food coming out of the food bank into the pantry system is the best possible. So in the past few years, we've really increased our amount of fresh produce that's going out. So last year, about 20% of the food that went out was fresh. Huh? And that is an amazing achievement, I think, on our end. And we also stopped taking candy and soda donations in the past few years. And we spent a lot of time thinking about that. And we didn't want to be seen as the food police and, and trying to dictate people's choices, but those sort of food options are readily available while we have learned that access to fresh food is always a challenge in a lot of communities. So we've been putting our resources more towards the fresh, and then with that also comes the education. You can provide the access, but education is part of the whole picture. I have some figures in front of me about number of paraprofessionals in the FNET program across New York State who are delivering nutrition education. 
So there's 83 trained paraprofessional staff, and that's 24 of the 62 counties in New York State have FNIP programs. The figure in SNAP-Ed or Eat Smart New York in New York State, I don't have that at my fingertips, but I know in the Finger Lakes region, which is what I'm a part of, that we're about 20 okay. people. So roughly maybe 150 SNAP-Ed educators across New York State. Funding has certainly not been increasing radically over the past decade, let's say. What have you, and I guess, Randy, this is probably actually more towards you, what have you noticed or seen in your experience at food banks? What's happened over the past decade in food banks? So we saw a spike in visitation to our network of partner agencies right after the recession, and it really hasn't declined back to pre-recession areas. And I think that has a lot to do with the jobs that have been reintroduced to this area are usually service or retail jobs or part-time jobs. So while people might be returning to employment, they're still struggling financially and they're still relying on access to a food pantry, for example. So anytime there is the proposed threat of any cuts to SNAP, we do get very wary because we know there could be a big influx into our pantry network and we wouldn't be able to meet that need. Not that this is a realistic thing, but what would happen if SNAP went away? 95% of all food assistance in the United States comes from federal programs. And while the bulk of that is SNAP, that also does include um, child nutrition programs like school meals and WIC. But in terms of SNAP, for every meal that a food bank distributes, SNAP provides 12 meals. So a lot of times you do hear a narrative that you cut SNAP or even if you cut it a little bit, the nice little ladies down at your local church at the pantry, they'll take care of it, they'll fill in that gap. And in my mind, charity is here to fill gaps that are created by public policy and, and through legislation. And it's not a feasible idea to fill in a cat, like a vast chasm. Like a SNAP is a, it's almost a $70 billion a year program. And the value of food given out through the food banking network is about $5 billion a year. So it's the cornerstone of fight against hunger and any cuts would drastically affect the charitable sector. Well, that's. A very realistic assessment. Thank you. The House and Senate version of the Farm Bill have different ideas of what SNAP should look like in the future. So while we don't know what the reconciliation of the Farm Bill will be, what are some of the things that we might be looking out for? From my end, we are closely watching the debate around SNAP and work requirements. And as we do know, unemployment is coming lower and lower, and almost an all-time low, I think, in the recent couple of decades. And at the same time, a lot of people are struggling to make ends meet. And recently I read a statistic that about 40% of Americans could not endure an unexpected $400 expense. So people are working, people want to work, people are doing the best they can. And the main threat, I think, to SNAP is the increase of the work requirements, which would cut about 2 million people from the program nationwide and also create a more bureaucratic reporting system. What are some of the impacts that we're seeing the nutrition education programs have on, on people in New York State? I can talk about that. And I also want to add something that I forgot to mention earlier about the Eat Smart New York program having three major goals. And those are for families to eat more fruits and vegetables, drink fewer sugar-sweetened beverages, 
and exercise more and balance calories as part of a healthy lifestyle. We have reporting from at a state level for mm-hmm. FNEP as well as Eat Smart New York. So with FNEP, we measure, so we do the pre-post surveys. So we can say that of the close to 15,000 adults and youth who participated in the program in 2017, improved their food resource management skills, so planning and preparing healthy meals for their family. 87% improved their diet quality. 66% improved their food safety practices, things like not letting your meat thaw on the counter and issues with cross-contamination of your food. And then the lowest uh, increase that we have is being more physically active. So about 48% of families who participated in FNIP increase their physical activity. There's also other economic implications of FNEP. It's been shown to save about $10 in health costs for every FNEP dollar invested. Mm. And also participants increasing the number of servings of fruits and vegetables. So it actually impacts the economy in terms of the tons of produce that are increased because of FNEP. So it's 439 more tons of produce which is a minimum economic value of $431,000 as a result of FNEP. And then with Eat Smart New York, we have different measures in terms of impact across the state. So there's more Eat Smart New York educators across the state so we can reach more people. And we're reaching more people also through social marketing and environmental approaches to improving healthy lives. So 1.5 million adults and youth were reached last year with Eat Smart New York. And that is also 768 schools were provided with training and support around creating healthier school environments. And in terms of SNAP-Ed dollars, every dollar spent in nutrition education, it saves as much as $10 in healthcare costs. So there's significant impact on families, communities, as well as the local economy. Thank you, Laura and Randy, for joining us. So this is our last formal episode on the Farm Bill. Mm-hmm. Once the Farm Bill passes, we'll do a, a sort of a follow-up and summary episode. In upcoming episodes, we're really going to take a look at some of the vegetables and crops in New York State and what the market's been doing, challenges faced by some of our farmers. So that will be the next series that we're undertaking. Any opinions or values expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the position of Cornell Cooperative Extension. This episode of Extension Out Loud was produced and edited by Paul Treadwell with help and advice from Katie Belden and R.J. Anderson. 